This is episode 5F of Free is in Freedom. And we're back. <laughs> Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. So the last time, previously on Free as in Freedom, we released a show on November 1st, 2016. Uh, Ob- Obama was still president of the United States. Uh, and then Donald Trump was elected and he ruined uh, uh, this podcast entirely and we weren't able to record it anymore. <laughs> Or you could say that uh, we uh, some very fundamental things changed about where we were and what we were doing, and it became very difficult for us to record the uh, cast, but uh, we are prioritizing it because we think it's important now. Well, also because every time we go to a conference, people are walking up to us asking us when the show is going to come back, and we promised that it would in 2018, and it's still 2018, just barely, and here we are back. We always do what we say we go- we're going to do eventually. <laughs> well, we said we were going to do it in 2018, so we've done it. Uh, so we have a couple of ideas of what we're going to do. And while most people really prefer the old form, I'm sure many of our listeners are going to pick this up in the uh, RSS feed and say, oh, this is you know the format that I want, the old show that I want, which is basically the two of us talking about some issue in Solve for Freedom. So we're still going to do some of that. Yeah, we're going to do, um, we're definitely going to do some of that, but we're going to do some other stuff. Um, na- more with an eye towards, uh, folks that are maybe just coming in. Um, I think a lot of the times the things that we've talked about have been, um, uh, very detailed. And I think for people who are coming in new, it's really hard to follow. And so we're going to do a little bit of both, I think, now. So one of the ideas we have, and we would, appreciate listener feedback on this if you folks don't like it is basically we'll start with having every other episode be slightly different so we'll do our regular thing of picking some issue in software freedom and talking about it uh on one show and then the show after that will be the beginnings of an introduction we want to do to the free software world in general so my idea was we go back in history and we start with the very first time things were released as free software and and really just do some actual research about things and conversations that happened then and basically make it so that that every other episode, you could listen to those and get a chronological introduction to the issues of software freedom and basically all the key players in the world of software freedom and so forth. Um, it's almost like kind of like a book, but done in uh Oddcast format because we're too lazy to write. So we're just going to record <laughs> what we discover and talk about it each uh, other, every other episode. Yep. So we'll be sharing what we are finding out, but we'll do some commentary on that along the way as well. Well, obviously, because, you know, we'll just have opinions constantly. So, um, so, so it's, so I, I think, I think that we hope that. People will come back. Uh, now it's, it's kind of a weird thing that we've done because, uh, we disappeared during, uh, like, I remember I, I was watching something and I think 20, the end of 2017, 
like one of those end of year shows and they were saying like like 2017 was the year of podcasting that all these celebrities and so forth all started podcasts in 2017 and it was a big deal so we disappeared for the entirety of 2017 when you know podcasting was at its height and now that uh in the end of 2018 when presumably it's like waning now we're coming back because you know that's you know that's the smart way to do it which is don't be part of the like the 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 popular wave because then you're just like a you know boring person part of the popular wave wait until it's really hard to get new listeners and then come back (laughs) well i don't know that it's past the wave of free software podcasting because there's a new podcast called libra lounge um so i which i i think is quite a good podcast i was just uh i think an episode with me has just come out uh this week i believe and i don't know we're, we're back in uh in time travel land where uh, when we're recording this, the Libra Lounge episode hasn't come out yet, uh, and we're obviously recording this one, so it's tough to know where we are when this one will be released. But uh, such a such but, a podcast uh, trope, such a podcast trope. You know, every podcast does this, like, <laughs> oh yeah, well we we're recording this when, and then you'll be in this time when you hear this, and yada yada. Right, but anyway, so there are free software related podcasts that are happening, even if podcasting as a social norm has peaked. I don't know, but maybe it's peaked. So, some people say that it hasn't. It's apparently, spo- well, apparently if you use proprietary software, it's very easy to do a podcast. Uh, we're doing it uh, still all with free software. So one of the ways we handled, so we had this problem ever since I moved uh, to the West Coast from New York that we can't record in the same place. So to get this started again, we ordered all the same equipment that we used together. So we each have a copy of that equipment. So hoping that will work. Uh, and we're using uh, a free software video chat uh, f- as a back channel, which is slower than we could. So the previous time we recorded remotely, we used a te- just a regular telephone line as a back channel, which that may turn out to make more sense. We'll see um, how bad this sounds as far as delays go before we decide. Yeah, uh, because there's a significant lag uh, for me to hear Bradley, and that's part of why I then just had an awkward silence. Well, we'll see. Maybe maybe Dan will magically audio out audio, uh, edit out every every silence. I would really hate to put that on him. That's so, true. Uh, since we're rebooting this show, I I think it, it's never too early to give a massive plug to Dan Lynch, our volunteer producer. Yeah, so Dan decided he was willing to come back. Uh, you know, he, he's We've emailed him like every six months or so and said, yeah, we're really going to come back with the oddcast. It's going to happen. And he always says that he'll do some editing. He agreed to do some editing at the end of the year here to bring this show back. Um, so, so I think, uh, I think that we're very lucky that Dan is willing to come back and those who read Dan's blog know that he went through a, a pretty difficult time the last couple of years with his you know, medical issues. And so he's, he's back, uh, doing odd casting again and is doing our editing again, which is really great. So we're looking forward to that. So what I'm thinking now is maybe, uh, maybe Karen, should we, should we give the listeners what they want? Should we, should we talk about some issue that they want to hear about? Should we maybe do that? Maybe we should yeah. switch what do you segments have? and do that. Maybe. Let's do that. Let's switch segments. So, Karen, I guess when we if we come back, we have to actually talk about something, right? We can't just be like, hey, we're back. This is a back episode, but we're back, everybody. We're back, which is basically what our last segment told them. Well, especially not when there's so much to talk about. 
Well, I suppose there's a lot. So it's, it's, I don't know. It feels like all the same, the, the world just, the history of the world just repeats itself over and over again, right? That's sort of what happens. I, I don't know if that's true. Well, it feels but. that way because if you look at if you look at 2018, people are going to remember 2018 as the as basically the year that VC companies successfully convinced the world that you didn't need open source and free software anymore. I don't know that that's what people will remember. I hope that's not what people will remember. I guess that's true. I guess I hope not either. But the point is, is that that's really and what I they're trying. I don't think they've convinced anybody of anything. <laughs> Do you think they haven't convinced anybody? So, so this year, in 2018, we have seen at least three companies attempt. Ah. What well, they have convinced, attempts. they have convinced each other. Oh, they've convinced each other and their lawyer, Heather Meeker, right? I suppose. Well, but, I, I don't think Heather, Heather Meeker is not the lawyer in all of these. She's but. most of them, <laughs> has drafted most of these licenses. And, and there's, these, there's a whole set of licenses now, which have what the OSI calls a field of endeavor restriction. Uh, it's called various different things by others. But the general idea was that if you did open source and free software, you were supposed to have the right to engage in any activity that was possible with the software using the software. But with these new licenses, they're saying, well, if you happen to be Amazon, you can't engage in your business using our software. You have to buy a proprietary license from us. And that's pretty much what they all say. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair summary. I mean, they are all a little bit different. But Agreed. they do try to find some way to sacrifice software freedom for monetization. And frankly, Amazon is the last company I want to hear. I mean, this time of year when people are ordering lots of packages here in the US, you know, there are multiple news stories about how badly Amazon treats its workers. And as a general matter, like outside of free software, the idea that Amazon is forcing people to not take bathroom breaks while they put stuff in packages, like that's very disturbing to me. But as a... Well, there are a lot of different things that are disturbing about Amazon. True enough. But as, yeah. as a general matter of how do we assure software freedom for people, we can't ever prohibit use of uh, basically prohibit, prohibit certain types of uses of software, certain types of field of endeavor, because down that road lies basically completely large set of incompatible licenses where you have to buy a commercial license to do anything that you might want to do commercially. And there was all this debate early in the history of free software about making sure that commercial and non-commercial activity were treated equally. That if you were a hobbyist doing software development, you should have the same rights as a company trying to do software development as part of your company. That everybody's software freedom ought to be respected, but if you weren't taking away other people's software freedom in the tradition of copyleft, you shouldn't be otherwise restricted from making money from the software. And these licenses try to stop people from doing that. Yeah, well, the point of these licenses or the reason the, the, their, their entire business model for using for making their software free software was not about that kind of equity or neutrality. It was about trying to find a way to lock folks into proprietary licensing. And that was their goal originally. So the fact that they've constructed these licenses in some ways is a relief to me because it it makes their intent plainer. Well, that's certainly true. But we also saw this year uh, that individual, uh, it was a relatively small project, but somebody attempt to say 
that if you were engaged in you know stuff that 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 uh, that, that I certainly I would criticize what the Trump is doing, you know, separating children from their families and so forth at the border. Somebody tried to write a license that would prohibit those companies that support and service um, you know, border protection services and so forth in the United States from using their open source and free software. And while I agree with them politically that we should be doing things to politically to stop people, you know, stop children from being separated at the border, using software license to do that, I think is just wrongheaded. It's just a wrong way. It's like saying they can't use the roads. You know, basically we're going to put roadblocks up and in, in every, in every town to make sure that uh, certain people can't ride on the roads because we disagree with their political activity. Um, so I, I, I'm really troubled that generally people have been looking at software licensing again as a mechanism to reach policy goals that don't necessarily have anything to do with software freedom or for or against it. Basically, we're back to this point where software licensing is being used as a wedge issue to impact behavior between individuals, companies, whatever, which is exactly what free software was trying to prevent. Yeah, and I actually think this is not uh, it's not coincidental that it follows uh, uh, more of a move towards lax permissive licensing. Like, I think that some of the frustration that folks are feeling is frustration that comes out of using so- generally developing software under non-copyleft licensing. And I think that because of that, I think a lot of the commercial ecosystems haven't developed that could have otherwise. And I think this is sort of a result of that where they're struggling for um, alternate ways of, uh, of, of getting, of solving this problem. Oh, I agree with that completely. Of course, there, the exception that, uh, that MongoDB at least would point to is themselves, MongoDB, arguing mm-hmm. that they are operating under copyleft and copyleft just is not serving their needs and not serving the needs of getting upstream contributions to MongoDB. Uh, which, of course, is completely disingenuous from MongoDB because they're engaged in proprietary relicensing. They're abusing copyleft licensing in the first place uh, and have always been doing so. Uh, so that's the one case among this where there are non, uh, there's actually a copyleft license in play, but of course it's a copyleft license in play in a business model, which those of, those of us that are strong copyleft advocates have been criticizing for decades at this point. So it's really a weird situation. That one is much more troubling to me. In fact, I, I kind of agree with you with the situation with Redis and all these other companies that have basically switched from a non-copyleft license to a proprietary, effectively a proprietary one, or a, you know, if you're doing this particular commercial use, you have to buy a proprietary license from us, uh, which is clearly not open source, clearly not free software. MongoDB is the, is the one exception in that they have a ostensibly public offering under a copyleft license, but everybody's terrified to use it because for decades they have been overreading the copyleft. They haven't been doing it for decades, but they and MySQL before them and others have been overreading the copyleft to say, oh, yeah, if you sneeze in the direction of our software, you have to buy a proprietary license. And using the copyleft as a scare tactic is now s- – the interesting part about this is that's seeming not to work again. Hmm. That is very interesting, or it doesn't work well enough. Well, right, Amazon's not afraid of them. My, my theory has been that Amazon finally told them, we believe we're complying with the Affero GPL. We don't need to buy a proprietary license from you. And it turns out maybe they are complying with the Affero GPL in the sense that, that MongoDB doesn't really want to create a sharing community where changes are going back to Mongo. They just want to create a community where everybody's terrified into buying a proprietary license. And so... 
their idea. Yeah, of- exactly. It's it's copy left for the purpose of of bringing people in as proprietary licensors. Right, and so. And so- it's not really the experiment of copy left right. of a strong copy left. Right, exactly. And so I'm very, I would be very interested to see a business that was trying to build around an Afero GPL code base to actually see, would that create changes back? Would that create contributions? Would that be a strong enough copy left? I think Afero GPL actually hasn't been tested for its copy left strength yet because no one's actually used it to try to build a business system around a Faro GPL in the way that business systems under traditional types of software like GCC were tested. And we saw when you put GCC under GPL, released by the FSF under the GPL, that businesses like Cygnus came into existence, that we actually had a business structure around the GPL that worked, that was not violating the GPL, did not require proprietary licensing. So one of the interesting questions is, how do we actually create a business environment where people will do that? And I don't know how to do that in the current anti-copyleft political climate. Yeah, I would say we barely tested copy left at all. Like, I think you're, you're citing examples that uh, are limited and few. And I think that the corporate adoption of free and open source software and the way that uh, companies really pushed towards um, non-copy left licenses, I, I think means that I think copy left as a general proposition really hasn't been tested that much. I think we can point to a few successful examples, but I think they're somewhat limited because I think we just they just haven't really been tried well and, and i think that's a, a a function of what software success has been defined as well, one of the things i told a recent journalist who contacted me about these licenses is that all of them are designed for vc company vc funded companies that need to seek a a a, a revenue stream that's going to create a hundred X increase in investment, right? Big return on investment. Like if you build a company these days in the software industry that has, you know, a, you know, a five, 10% return on investment, everybody says, well, that's not good enough. That's not a, that's not a valid software company. Yet when you look at any other company, like you start a local restaurant, right? Somebody, if somebody says, I started a restaurant, I'm getting a 10% return on investment every year. I'm, I'm 10% profit, you know, every year. People would say, wow, what a hugely successful restaurant. This is great. You should franchise. You should expand. 10%. You're making 10% every year. And yet in software, we say, if you don't make 5,000%, this software company is a failure. It's a waste of my time. And the fact that we've allowed Silicon Valley to frame how we think about software, I think that's the biggest threat to free software, is that we assume being successful in software means 5,000% return on investment. Yeah, and also rapid growth. Well, those two relate. Um, I, I find that, yeah, I find that really uh, disturbing, and it's percolated into every aspect of the field. It's funny, um, you know. One of the things that I've noticed is that uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that as we've uh, we've progressed with some of our programs over the years, our programmatic activities at Conservancy, um, it's been interesting. We've been around long enough, doing a lot of the things that we do for long enough that we can see certain trends. And um, Outreachy is an example of this. I remember early on, there were a lot of other, or there were a few other diversity programs, and they would ramp up so fast, and they would get so much money so quickly. And I would think, 
what, a, what you know, I really need to be doing things a little bit differently with outreachy than I've been doing it. We've been growing slow. We've been growing organically. We've been establishing the program and working out the kinks slowly. And here there's a, you know, here are, there are these other programs that get so much money and they grow so fast. And almost all of those programs, not all of them, but almost all of them have flamed out since then and no longer exist. And outreachy continues plugging along, offering internships, getting slowly bigger incrementally every every round and it's 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 just a totally different mentality and i think that early on folks were somewhat critical of us saying you know why don't you ramp up and i think that with nonprofits as well as with for profits i think there's really something to be said for small slow organic growth growing only thoughtfully and in a careful way and I think that this mentality that you're describing, I absolutely agree, but I think it's percolated into every aspect of our culture. Real, so, so that's interesting. I, I had, I mean, I'm so much in the software world that I just see it as a software thing. If it's really cultural wide, that's really disturbing, this idea. I mean, it certainly hasn't grown into restaurants. Like restaurants struggle to just break even the first few years they run. Like if they can just stay alive and break even and pay their staff and so forth, you know, that, that's, that, that to me is sort of the way I think about it, that, that, a, you know, doing a small bit, I, I felt that free software was about, well, when I got involved with free software, one of the reasons I got involved was because I was working at the time as an independent consultant, uh, working some on free software, some not on free software. But the idea of having a software industry where lots of people were doing different things kind of independently, they would do, you know, small projects with other people. They weren't necessarily trying to build some product uh, that, that was going to make a millions of dollars. They were just trying to, you know, make you know, make a service that would work for a certain small group of people and be able to build it. And so that's what I saw as a software industry: lots of independent consultants, lots of people doing smaller projects, smaller companies uh, involved. The idea that we have giant tech companies like that was what I saw as a problem. Like when I looked at the '90s and saw you know, at the time Microsoft and IBM being these giant computer companies, like I wanted to see a industry where there were lots of smaller companies. And of course, now all the giant companies of today all use free software, but they're still big, giant corporations that control not just our software, but our data <laughs> and everything else. And so it's, it's, I just, it's just so upsetting where things have gone. And of course, when we talk about politically, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to live in the United States right now because of because of these so many problems that we have and facing these kind of things. Um, and so I, I, I really actually see a lot of the politics we're seeing in open source and free software as being a outgrowth of the just bad politics we have everywhere in at least in the United States right now. And I don't know how we solve it, but certainly, certainly it's, it, I, I'm glad to hear you say you think that these companies aren't getting traction. I think they're getting tons of traction because they have so many rich people behind them, backing them saying, this is, this is the way open source should go. Um, and this is the, you know, the only way to get, to make money. I feel like they're connecting with, you know, the younger developers who are coming in saying, yes, this is the only way to make money. We have to design licenses that, you know, stop, stop. Because there's a kind of like an anti-big company argument, right? Because their argument is against, say, Amazon. That, you know, Redis, we're a small company and we're trying to fight the big Amazon, big, horrible Amazon. It won't give us any money, right? So they have that kind of like truthiness of where the little guy kind of argument. When in fact, they're backed by you know, huge VCs, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I agree with that. I, I don't know how much traction they're getting. There's definitely a set of people who want to talk about 
sustainability of free and open source software in this context. And I think that these licenses connect with those people, I think. Um, but I think their goals have never been about user freedom, per se. Not everybody who's talking about sustainability, of course, but uh, but the folks that are being convinced by these licenses and by this discussion are the kinds of people who are never that interested in user freedom anyway. And so I actually think these licenses are good at really making the conversation about what it's about. Like, if you're interested in um, in these licenses because you're solely interested in maximizing VC invested startups, then, you know, you have a different outcome for what you think is right in terms of licensing choices than someone who's interested in the general societal good of our software. But how do we how do we combat that? Right? I mean, I, I we we're in these sustainability arguments. And you know, the arguments being made by people like Nadia Eggball, who's incredibly respected in that field. She's saying, well, companies are much better for this. Com- you know, For-profit companies, she claims, are more transparent than charities. I don't know how she gets that argument, but that's her argument. I don't see any evidence for it. That is a weird argument. I think that I usually agree with most of her arguments, but that one seems a but little I, But I think, I think that the, the sh- she comes from the VC world and is being influenced by that kind of thinking. And I, I think most people sort of see building a company as the answer to all problems in software. Make a company. That's how you solve a problem in software. And I, I don't, I didn't come from a culture where that was true. You, you couldn't, because I came up in Linux when Linux was still considered, you know, a counterculture. And so you didn't build a company to make Linux successful, right? You built a consultancy, right? I mean, the way I made money in the 90s was as a consultant because you couldn't make money working for a big company and working on GPL software in the 90s. And so now that free software is has been basically co-opted by big companies. How, how do we respond to that? I don't, I don't know how we explain what we were going for originally and, and, and how we're so off course with that. And, and we're so off course in so many different ways from what I think original people who were involved in free software in the early days were looking for um, that nobody really, it's, it's almost impossible to explain what's gone wrong because so many different things have gone wrong in so many different subtle ways. So I, I don't even know how to ex- begin explaining why sustainability is the wrong way to look at it because of course I want projects to be sustainable if you take the word at its face, but they don't mean the word at its face. They mean something really different. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, you know, I, I went to the Sustain Open Source Software um, Conference which uh, which was in London, um, and uh, I think it was in October, uh, which was a very interesting conference with a lot of interesting people talking about a lot of interesting things. And uh, what I found was that when I started saying, oh, well, we really need to talk about ideology as sustainability, that if we are a movement, that is that brings sustainability in a different kind of way than just talking about different business models. And I had, there were a lot of people that kind of just stopped and said, huh, that's different. And, uh, you know, I think that what's different right now is that people who are not necessarily connected to software freedom are getting the idea that there is something important about the ethics of their technology. I, I was, uh, I don't often watch television, but I was, uh, in a hotel and there was, uh, and somebody else turned on the television and 
Uh, there was a CEO of a major technology company saying that we really need to worry about the ethics of our soft of our technology and our software. And it was funny because some of the things he was saying was like verbatim from the speeches I've been giving. And I was like, what what is happening? And it's you know, it's interesting because I think that the ordinary consumer is starting to get the message that they need to worry about what's happening with their technology in a way that they hadn't really been thinking about before. And so it's a really good time to be raising these issues because there is some degree of consciousness about it. Of course, it doesn't generally or hasn't yet ever been about us being able to control our technology and those aspects that are inherent to user freedom and software freedom. Yeah, I I, I think that I, I think that the surface level discussions that are happening with this, it reminds me so much of the, 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 the 80s when there was the PMRC forcing music censorship, you know, pushing music censorship. And basically the music industry just made a deal to, with the, the PMRC to let it not become legislative regulation. And basically both sides I mean, basically music decided to self-censor and there's no oversight whatsoever and all that. And I think that's exactly what's happening when I see, say, Mark Zuckerberg testifying in front of Congress. That's that's basically just a dance that's happening that's going to say, oh, yeah, the tech industry is going to regulate themselves and everybody's going to be fine. And we're going to have a regulate themselves attitude towards it for for decades before anybody has that kind of real conversation. Um, but they'll be happy to steal our rhetoric. They'll be happy to steal... Uh, and co-opt the messaging. That's already happening, right? We already have people out there who are saying like the default is open source. You know, that, you know, you know, Jim Zemlin loves to get up and say that when he give talk, but it's not the default. The default is proprietary still and occasionally companies open source stuff, right? But, but you can get away with saying the default is open source and nobody questions it except for, you know, you and me basically. We're it. We're, we're the ones. Open source is one, Bradley. Open source is one. What are you talking right, about? Exactly. And we're the only ones willing to say that the emperor has no clothes on a lot of this stuff. So that's why we have to come back. That's why you need this faith cast. So I think I have to tell people that the reason we haven't done it is because we're very busy running Software Freedom Conservancy. Software Freedom Conservancy is busy working on a lot of these issues. But we believe firmly that having a faith cast is good for getting that message across. So we're going to try to start doing it again. But what can people do, Karen, if they want this faith cast to keep coming? What, are, what should they do? Oh, you're going to make me do the sales, the, be the shill? Well, you're the executive director of Conservancy. So you should tell uh. them. What should you tell them, Karen? Okay, so we hate doing this. So the whole thing about Conservancy is we're a tiny org and we're we're four full-time people, one part-time person, all working on all the things that Software Freedom Conservancy has to do, which is so many different things. And um, and we don't have anyone on staff who is a marketer or a PR person or even a campaigns manager or anything like that. We're just, our, all of our publicity is just what we talk about in our spare time or what we can uh, make time to, 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 to do press for. And the fact that we have to uh, raise money for Conservancy in addition to doing all of our um all of our other work is really tough, but, uh, but we do it. And, um, and so all this to say that while I feel awkward, I think everyone on staff feels awkward asking for money. We have to do it every year. So, uh, if you could find it in your hearts to become a supporter of the Software Freedom Conservancy, it would help this podcast keep going, uh, because it will help the Software Freedom Conservancy keep going. Um, and, uh, and you should do that. Uh- 
I'll, that's that? fine. And I'll do the more painful show thing. So we've been, so I, I, I hear from people who live in the normal world instead of like trying to always do free software world that we're on iTunes, uh, apparently. And, um, that we, I, I, I looked at our iTunes page cause you can do that through the web interface without logging in, it seems. And we had one review, which was a one star review, people saying that we were horrible people or something. So if you're at, so I know there are people out there listening on iTunes because some of our listeners in the IRC channel have said so. So, uh, I think you actually have to go and promote us on there if you're on there. Uh, I'm not encouraging people to join that thing. But if we're going to get going again, we're going to need to find more listeners. And I think that's the place we're going to find more listeners is uh, is there uh, because that's where so many people are looking at. So if you're already on there anyway, don't sign up. Please don't sign up. But if you're already signed up, please go do a five-star review for us and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, the whole point is that we're going to record more episodes talking about more important issues and about the history of free and open source software. I don't like, I, I want to try to avoid shilling as much as possible. Um, but, uh, but yeah. But when for us, it's, it's a I time, it. it's a cost benefits analysis. While we are excited that so many people liked this podcast and that's why we're bringing it back, we also have to make sure we're optimizing our time for reaching the maximum number of people, right? And so the more people we're reaching with the podcast, the more likely we're going to be able to give time to doing it. Because if we have tens of thousands of listeners instead of thousands, of, we think we kind of have like 3,000 listeners, right? That that was what our numbers showed before. But if we had tens of thousands of listeners, like we could never give this up, right? It would not be possible. So if you get us to tens of thousands of listeners, we're never going to stop. We can't stop. How could we possibly stop? Yeah, and I and I'm glad we're back because I think that the issues around free and open source software are they've really reached a crescendo in a lot of ways. Like I think the fact that these licenses have come in so recently really cut to the very core of what is free and open source software? What is a community? Who are community? You know, like what what where do companies fit in all of this? And one of the things that I think is really important about conservancy is that we bring a, a voice to the non-corporate side. I mean, we, you know, a lot of companies participate in our member projects and we're glad about that. Companies must contribute to free and open source software. They must use free and open source software in order for the movement to be successful. But we, as a, as a public, as a, you know, as, as a, as a community voice need to make sure that this is done on the right terms, that it's, uh, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not solely a corporate, uh, not solely a corporate endeavor. And someone needs to be really carefully evaluating what's happening and not just trying to make nice with for-profit enterprises. Not a reason to be, there's no reason to be adversarial, but at the same time, we have to be honest about what's happening and really evaluate it with a, a, a truly neutral perspective. All right, Karen. Well, we're back. I think that's what people need to know most of all. And uh, and we'll try to get on a regular schedule. I don't think we should commit to a schedule yet. It's too early. I agree. But thanks to thanks to all of you who are listening now, it means that you 
stuck with us through that ridiculously long hiatus, and we really appreciate it. Oh, and I should finally mention, we actually have uh, a couple of lost episodes that we can release. So there's hidden audio, mm. like lost audio on SD cards floating around, and we'll slowly insert those into the stream. Like, we'll, every once in a while, we'll release some sort of lost episode, uh, and we'll label them as lost episodes so that you know that it's an interview or something else from a long time ago. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll slowly insert those in over the coming year. Uh, with you know, so people can hear things that never got released, uh, unreleased audio that we've got floating around. I think that's it for this one. Yep. Thanks so much. Free as in Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of HalfBigMedia.com. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. Free as in Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Please provide any feedback to oddcast at faif.us.